Hello everyone, this is Julio again with another episode for my God in You podcast and YouTube channel. This is the fourth episode of a series that I'm doing titled The Garden of Eden from its Allegorical Perspective. In this particular episode, what I'm going to be sharing is concerning knowledge as to how to dress and keep the garden within our minds. As I mentioned in the last episode, which includes a tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, just like Jesus experienced it. And also we're going to go into what I refer to as the constructive side of the serpent brain. So I'm here, as you can see, on location again, so I apologize if you're getting a little echo in this voice. Uh, I'm here uh, at, at the home again that I'm having constructed, so it's going to be a little bit of an echo here. I'm going to try to uh, edit some of that out, but if uh, I don't get it all out, again, I apologize for the echo in the background. So I have a lot of ground as normal to cover, so let's get to work. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God gives Adam a very important instruction that applies to all of humanity today. And that instruction is this. The scripture states that God took the man that he had created, referring to Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to do two specific things, to dress it and to keep it. This is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. When we define these two words, dress and keep, from this ancient Hebraic perspective, you'll find numerous descriptions or, or definitions of what they mean. But the primary ones that I want to focus on are specifically when it comes to the word dress. It's defined or described as a work that is performed for another out of obligation, requirement, and gratitude. It's also described or defined as to cultivate. It's also defined or described as to foster growth. And then it's also described as what a worshiper does. Now the word keep in this instruction in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 is the Hebraic word shamar. And it simply means to watch over or guard for the purpose of preserving or protecting it. And it's also described as to be a watchman. And the reason why I bring that definition up is because of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Many of us can quote this probably by heart, but this is a very famous verse that simply states, I will stand upon my watch and set up myself upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now, just to kind of break this down a little bit, the tower that he's referring to, or the scripture I should say is referring to in this verse, is actually that top portion of the brain. Remember the spiritual mind or the neocortex that we saw in the last episode. And in terms of why he's doing it, he's doing it to see the answer that he gets when he is reproved. Now that word reproved there means to be convinced through constant instruction and correction through reasoning. Remember in the last episode and numerous episodes prior to this and other lessons that one of the goals that we should be experiencing when it comes to experiencing the mind of God within our minds as a teaching spirit is to have conversations with God. And 
through that conversational experience, you're going to use one of these inherent voices that I mentioned in the prior episodes is the voice of reasoning. So I said all that to say this, that Habakkuk is talking about experiencing the same thing. He's watching over, he's experiencing himself as a watchman over what? His mind. We're going to see more of that here as we go further. So again, just another piece or portion of scripture that is speaking about the same thing about a person that understands how to and what the purpose is of dressing and keeping your mind. And again, we're going to see more of that as we go through um, further content in this episode. So it's important to remember that the Garden of Eden is also referred to as the Garden of God and the Garden of the Lord, as we saw in the book of Ezekiel in the prior episodes. It's the same environment that Jesus called the kingdom of God that he specifically states is within us and it's experienced within our mind. So what Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 calls the tower is the same thing. It's that top portion of our minds. And how do you foster growth and preserve and protect, in other words, dress and keep an actual garden from all predators or hindrances of growth? And I'm going way ahead of myself. But by visiting its tower, AKA the kingdom of God daily within your mind. Adam's job in the garden was to dress and keep or cultivate and protect the garden. Cultivation and protection are efforts that the farmer or the gardener makes to ensure that they will produce a bountiful crop as possible. He will plow the ground, he will fertilize it, he will plant seed, then he will promote further growth by watering, weeding, protecting it and from predators and so forth. If the farmer or the gardener is lazy, if he or she fails to cultivate and protect his ground, if he does nothing to promote growth, then what occurs? Nature follows its course and the farm or the garden begins to degenerate with the help of harmful predators. And remember what the Bible talks about are these predators that we talked about the fruit in prior episodes, their thoughts. This is also what happens to our minds when we fail to keep it in a consistent state of dress and keep. And as we go through this episode, you're gonna see what I mean in terms of showing you how Jesus dressed and kept his mind in order to experience the mind of God within it as a father guiding and a teaching spirit. So let's begin to uh, uh, go through how Jesus experienced and taught this. To begin with, we have this word called hallowed, and this is found in the Our Father prayer or the Lord's prayer, depending on uh, your description. This is found in the book of Matthew. It's also found in the book of Luke. And I have a complete video series, and also this knowledge is found in my books, primarily in the mystery of prayer revealed in terms of the breakdown of the Our Father prayer that Jesus taught. It's actually a template of how he experienced the mind of God within his mind as a teaching spirit. And within those instructions, he begins to say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, that word hallowed is defined as to consecrate, to sanctify, or to make holy. And it's described as preparing something or someone apart 
for a special purpose. It's also described as a sanctuary, a place that is special, that is set apart, again, for a special purpose. Now, again, keep this in mind. We're talking about the Garden of Eden. The Garden is the same thing as the Kingdom of God. So when Jesus said, Hallowed be thy name, he's talking about setting your mind or consecrating to set it apart for something to happen. And that something is found in understanding what the word name is. So in order to fully understand what needs to be prepared in order to set someone or something apart for a special purpose, in other words, how to dress and keep it, we must take a look at the Aramaic translation of our Father in heaven and the hallowed be your name portion of that teaching. Through their Aramaic perspectives, now, I have it here in this one line. Of course, I have the full prayer in the Aramaic version in the mystery of prayer revealed. But in that first portion of that teaching that Jesus taught, and I'm going to pronounce this the best that I can, the Aramaic expression is abum deshwamaya, and that's what it means uh, in English, is our Father who art in heaven. And then the hallowed be thy name is it goes some, something like this, Nefquadash Shemak. Now, of course, again, I'm not pronouncing it the way they would pronounce it, but this is what the Aramaic expression of this portion of that prayer teaching is how it would be written out. Now, within the contents of both of these Aramaic phrases are the letters S-H-M. This is the Hebrew and Aramaic root word for the word name. They call it the Shem. They add an E in there for pronunciation. As it relates to God as a triune father and instructor. The reason why it's important is because Shem is part of the root word of heaven and the word father from their Aramaic perspectives. In other words, the name, which is a reference to the triune presence of God, of the Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, comes from and is experienced within the heavenly environment of the kingdom of God within. Your mind contains its presence and environment. Remember, it's an inner sanctuary. In other words, what needs to be hallowed or prepared is your mind. In other words, you have to dress and keep it for this someone, which in this reference is the name, this is the triune presence of God within you so that he can fulfill his special purpose in your life. And what is his special purpose? To function as a fathering, guiding or redeeming and a teaching spirit for every area of your life. And as we will see in this episode, this is also known as experiencing the good ground or what they call the father or holy ground of the parable of the four soils. Now let's elaborate on this a little bit deeper. Remember the great commission that we read about in the book of Matthew? It happened during Jesus' 40-day teaching on how to experience the kingdom of God within. You can find that reading in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. An interesting point to ponder concerning this gathering is that 
Jesus only gathered apostles. Why did he uh, gather the other, what are supposed fourfold ministers or ministries in the forms of people? I'm talking about, of course, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Even though those types of people would have been present on the earth. For those of you who've been following me for a while, you know what that answer is. But the reason for it is because an apostle functions in all five capacities. And I'll explain that a little bit better here in, in a few moments here. Now, we find the Great Commission, as far as that reading, it's specifically in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And Jesus gives this instruction, Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that so whatever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this world. And what did he command them to do? To teach them knowledge pertaining to the kingdom of God within. In other words, how to go within their minds in order to experience him, not just as a presence, but more importantly, as a teaching spirit. Remember when this episode happened, Jesus comes back in his resurrected state, right? This is like God coming down himself and teaching these apostles how to teach other people. Well, first of all, how to teach them how to experience him within their mind, just like Jesus experienced it as a human being. But then how to teach other people to experience the same. And he did so through this great co-mission, what we call the commission. In other words, we co-labor with the mission of God in order to teach people how to experience this. Now, let's go into this whole reference of the name a little bit better so that you understand what I'm talking about, the triune function of God. Now, Shem, remember Shem. This is the ancient Hebraic perspective of the word name when it refers to God as a triune spirit. In other words, a triune, not three spirits, triune functioning spirit. In other words, he functions in three functions. The first one is as a father or a source, your source or ultimate source of creation. The second function is that of Christ, a redeemer or a guide. That's what's referred to as the son. And then the third function is when he delivers or rescues you from all forms of dysfunction through revelation and instruction. This is when you're experiencing God through this third function, when you're experiencing him as a teaching spirit for every area of your life, especially that area that causes you to experience what the Bible calls evil, what is defined biblically as dysfunction. So this was the original apostles' doctrine. This is what authentic apostles, remember, one fivefold ministry that functions in all five gifts. This is what they do and teach. He or she will teach you how to be immersed or baptized into this type of inner divine educative experience through the other four functions of a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher through key of knowledge type of instruction and meditation that results in you experiencing the fivefold ministry of Christ within. This is also experiencing what the Bible refers to as experiencing the engrafted word. So in other words, when you're experiencing the fivefold ministry of Christ within, then you're understanding what these five gifts truly are. You're experiencing, again, the logos for your life that is able to save or rescue your soul. Remember, that's the third function of the triune function of God as a teaching spirit.
And you'll understand that a little bit better. For those of you who have read my book, you already know where I'm coming from when it comes to this content. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6 says that there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, above all, who is through all and in you all. Notice the word one. This word one keeps being repeated here. Now, the reason why, because it's talking about the same being, the same experience. So in other words, when you're experiencing one Lord, you're experiencing one teacher through this triumph function of teaching. When you're experiencing one faith, you're experiencing the faith of God, the belief systems of God that he wants you to flesh out of your life through the works that he instructs you, whether they're mental or physical, in order for you to experience his faith for different things. Uh, aspects of your life and it's experiencing through one baptism in other words an immersion of teaching that happens within your mind and it happens through this God and Father of all the Christ same individual that is in all of us now there's a warning I want to give one of the reasons why this oneness of God in terms of being taught within and I'm not talking about oneness or trinity I'm not talking about that debate you know that 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 I'm not even going there you know what I'm saying that to me is foolishness to be honest with you because the, the scripture is very clear that God is one but he functions in different functions depending on the experience that you have with him and I'll give you another example Jehovah Jireh for example God is my provider well, that's actually what God can experience. You can experience it in any one of the four or excuse me, the three functions, you know, depending on what that need is or depending on what he's providing to you. Another one, Jehovah Rapha, God is my healer. That's experienced primarily in the second or third function. When God is providing you guidance and instruction, he's teaching you how to do what? to heal you by removing the dysfunction or the evils that are keeping you from being whole. So the warning I like to give when I, when I talk about this is that there is one of the primary reasons that the above isn't taught is because of Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. And this is the clear instruction. Jesus was talking about people who teach concerning spirituality. But you do not be called rabbi. What is a teacher? That's, uh, what is a rabbi? Excuse me. It's a teacher. For one is your teacher. Here goes that word one again. The Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on this earth your father. For one is your father. Here goes that one again who is in heaven, and do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher. Here goes that word one again, the Christ, again. Remember, I, I've said this numerous times before, always remember that those that teach about God must first be taught by God. And the reason why I bring out Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, is because of the whole title usage that we have in the traditional functioning of the fivefold ministry. Apostle so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, the big one is pastor so-and-so. It's very rare that you hear teacher so-and-so, but evangelist so-and-so. But the point that I want to get across here is that those five gifts were never supposed to be used as titles. That's one of the reasons why there is a veil in between the teacher that functions with titles and the student. Because a five-fold minister in the traditional sense is only going to teach you what they know. And what they know primarily comes from traditions of the fathers, as Paul, as Paul stated, or from doctrines that are, have been passed down from generation to generation. But where that doctrine originate from? 
Well, if the doctrine originated from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in other words, the original apostles' doctrine, then these people would be teaching you how to experience that one within. This is why Jesus says, don't call them your father. He's not talking about your daddy. In other words, your biological father. He's talking about teachers. This is why this whole thing about calling people my spiritual mother and spiritual father, truth be told, is out of order. You know, it's very unbiblical and in the book the mystery of the kingdom of god revealed and i had those two chapters about the fivefold ministry you'll see that very clearly as to why we should not do that now concerning the lord's prayer or the template of the our father prayer there is plenty of content related to this found in the old testament and you can see here examples that i have on this slide and i just put this for the purposes for you who want to take a, a screenshot of this or whatever but what jesus taught them in the whole our father template is not new remember that came from a demand that the disciples put upon jesus when they said teach us to pray like john taught his disciples talking about john the baptist and then he goes into this whole our father prayer who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and all this other stuff right well i break that all down in the mystery of prayer revealed and i give you content related to that in the mystery of the kingdom of god revealed and i also have other videos on my youtube channel related to this teaching but the point that i want to get across is that he was teaching them a template of how he himself was experiencing the mind of God within him for every aspect of his life. And you'll see one of the most important aspects of his life is to how to keep him from what we call sinning or keep him from doing or even performing evil acts. And you'll see that here in a few moments. So I just wanted to give you a, 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 a picture of the fact that this whole Our Father prayer is not something that was designed to be quoted. It was designed for something to be experienced. And of course, I give you all of that knowledge in the books and of course in the videos again as to how that takes place. Now, shifting gears a little bit here, I wanna give you a key of knowledge tip. This background of this slide is actually uh, some of the background uh, slides that I have from the teaching that I did concerning the four parables. And again, you can see that in the mystery of prayer revealed, and you can also see that in the videos that I have concerning this parable. It's the most important parable that Jesus taught by his own admission. But whenever you read something that Jesus taught concerning prayer, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, think about this. How did he, Jesus, the human being, experience it? Some of the examples that I like to go over briefly are the born-again discussion that he had with Nicodemus. Powerful. And of course, I give you all that knowledge in the uh, mystery of the kingdom of God, the mystery of prayer revealed concerning that topic. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about what he himself was experiencing about this whole born again thing. And he wasn't talking about being born again in the traditional sense as the church preaches and teaches. He was talking about experiencing his first birth environment. In other words, experiencing the mind of God. Remember, in that conversation, Nicodemus said, we know you're a teacher from God because no one can do these things that you do, right? And Jesus, when you look at the deeper understanding of that conversation, what he was saying was, when I get my information and knowledge and how I do the things that I do is because I position my mind to experience my first birth environment. So when the scripture says you must be born again, it means that you must experience your first birth environment. Remember, for something to be born again means that it was birthed before. We all were birthed before in the mind of God in spirit form. In other words, the ideal of our existence existed in the mind of God from before our parents even 
thought or even uh, planned or unplanned our creation on this earth. But that presence was already inherently present within the mind of God. And when we became a part of this earth, beginning within our mother's womb, well, that same presence was birthed within us. This whole garden is already within us, with, within our mother's womb. Now, those of you who this maybe is new to you, go back to my knowledge or the teaching that I have concerning what Proverbs chapter 139 teaches concerning this. The birthplace or the existence of God within the human being begins within the mother's womb. Some of the other examples that I like to bring out are seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, how did he do that? The whole Our Father prayer or the Lord's prayer, as I'm talking about here, how did he experience it? And then, of course, the four parables, the most important parable that he taught, again, by his own admission. How did he experience it? Let's go into some of this. When it comes to the, the parable of the, of the seed and the four soils, again, I have details of this. I'm just going to skim over this. Remember that he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will, will you understand all the parables? A crucial detail about this key parable is that the sower is sowing his seed not the seed that belongs to the another. And for those of you listening to podcasts, I have all the scriptural references here on these slides. So the sower is actually God and the seeds are his thoughts. The Bible is not this kind of seed. And the reason why I say that is because traditionally we're taught that this parable is about a preacher or a teacher, you know, preaching and teaching. And there's four types of people and four types of grounds. And, and there's only 25% get it. You know, those that experience the good ground, well, that's unfair. You know what I'm saying? Truth be told, you think about it. And really, when you understand the deeper understanding of it, again, Jesus was teaching about what he was experiencing in his own prayer life. And you'll see that a little bit more here. As we go on, so according to Mark chapter 4, verse 2, the seed that he's referring to is specifically about his doctrine, talking about the doctrine that comes from God. Remember, it's his seed that comes directly from him that is experienced within your mind. So the seed is the spoken word. It's what's referred to as the logos or the debar in Hebrew. It's something that's said through a doctrinal experience by way of thoughts. And it's experienced through what the Bible refers to as rhema. So in other words, when, when you experience God as a teaching spirit within your life, the seed that he's sowing into your mind, into your, your thoughts, is the logos. In other words, the story or the will for your life and you experience through the utterance in other words the rhema it's the same voice but a logos is simply referring to the story of your life think about jesus hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 7 he came in the volume of the book that was written about him to do the will of god that was his logos look at psalms 139 again verses 13 through 18 you'll see there's a book written on our lives and all of the events that, that take place are already have taken place in the mind of God before one of them even takes place in our life. And this is the reason why it's important to position our minds, for lack of a better expression, to be read to by God. In other words, God reveals to you what his will is in story form. You know, that's why the Bible describes it as a book. Now, there are a lot more details about it. And for those of you who are interested, I have a complete chapter regarding this topic right here called The Logos Book of, on Your Life. And one of my books, and that chapter is titled The Logos Book 
of your life. So again, the seed is a spoken word, and it's experienced through doctrinal experience. In other words, God teaching you through thoughts within your minds. This, again, is experiencing the engrafted or implanted word. This is a logos, again, that according to James chapter 1, verse 21, that is able to save your souls. In other words, to rescue your souls. And I'm not talking about salvation, end times, heaven. No, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about rescuing you from ignorance concerning the will of God for your life. According to Matthew's account of the parable of the soils, the word specifically is referred to as the word of the kingdom. Again, this is the kingdom book on your life that I wrote about in the mystery of prayer revealed. In all three of the accounts of this parable, the word word is the Greek word logos. Logos, when you transcribe it into its Hebraic perspective, is called the Sefer Sefrat in Hebrew. It's the narrative account of your life that is based off of the book that God has authored on your life. And of course, it's not a literal book with pages, but that's just how the Bible describes it. It's the story, it's the will, with details concerning all of the specific things pertaining to every facet of your life. So when Jesus stated that the sower sows the word, this specific word is the voice of God delivering information, logos information to you that comes from this book that contains, again, his story and will for every area of your life. And again, you'll see that specifically in Psalms 139, verse 16, where it says, and in your book, they are all written, the days fashioned for me when yet there was none of them. This is what Jesus was experiencing when he was hallowing his mind to experience a teaching from the name. And this is the same thing he was experiencing in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. In the volume of the book, I came to do what? To do your will, O God. This is the same experience that Mark 135 talks about. In the morning, he would rise up before his day and what? And go and pray, right? Well, we think prayer was talking God. No, every day he was going to go and hear and learn from God. That was his prayer session in terms of what he was about to experience or step into for that particular day. And it's important to remember that Jesus had such a book. He had a Logos book on his life. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was manifested flesh. Remember John chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 14, well, this is, this is the same experience. In other words, it's talking about the book, the word there in those words, in those verses in, the, in the, uh, John chapter 1 is a reference to the Logos book of Jesus' life. And we all have one that we're also supposed to flesh out of our lives. And that those books were also in the beginning with God. Remember, God created us first in his mind before we ever became humans. And how... Did he experience this knowledge within his mind? Well, it was through experiencing the good ground of his mind morning by morning. And what would happen as a result? The scripture says that God would awaken his ear to hear as the learn. Let's look at this good ground here. I want you, and I'm, again, I'm not going to go through all the details because if, when you go back into the... Uh, 
the lesson or the, or the episode that I have concerning the parables and the content that I have in the book, I explain each one in detail. I give you the breakdown of each of the Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, uh, perspectives of this whole parable. This parable has to be viewed in its whole console. We just can't take Matthew's account by itself and Luke and, 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 and Mark's. We have to look at the totality of it. And when you look at the, the full console, the totality of it, you'll see that Jesus, again, was talking about his prayer life. Now, what I want you to notice, and we talk about four grounds. There's the wayside ground, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. And what I want you to notice about this is the progression of improvement. So wayside, stony ground, thorns, ground. The further you go down, the more soil there is, if you want to see it for a lack of a better expression. But then I also want you to notice where the regression of this progress begins. And that's found in the understanding of what the wayside means. And let me read it. And this is, we're talking about the sower. Remember, sowing the word. God is sowing the word, trying to do it within your mind. Remember, I told you before, God is always speaking and teaching. The problem is that we don't know how to discern or learn from God. So God is always trying to talk to us. And, and how so? And why we don't experience it? For the most part, is found in understanding what the wayside is. And he goes how it reads, And these are those by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes the word that was sown in their hearts. Traditional religion doesn't teach about this type of word that is already sown. Remember, that's the engrafter or the implanted word in your heart or that is implanted in your mind. Nor do they teach how the serpent portion of our minds keeps us from experiencing this level of discernment or thought process. Again, this, if, if they did, this would be us experiencing the engrafted or the implanted word. In other words, the logos, again, that is the purpose of it is to save or to rescue your soul from ignorance concerning God's will for your life. This is the reason why in the other episode, I wanted to bring out the significance regarding the triune brain. When the, when the verse here is talking about Satan, the majority of us, like, like myself, were taught that this was actually a devil, you know, uh, the accuser of the brethren and these different descriptions that is just, you know, keeping us from hearing the voice of God. Well, the deeper perspective of what Jesus was teaching was about that portion of our mind that is not in submission to that higher portion. Remember the neocortex, the Adam brain, the God brain? Remember that? From the other perspective. And you'll see this a little bit clearer in, in, in the subsequent slide. So as we go through here, the origin of us not receiving the spoken word of God has to do with this individual or this experience called Satan, where it says he comes immediately, or Satan comes in and takes away that word sown in our hearts. And as I was sharing with you before, remember the serpent brain? The serpent portion of our brain doesn't think things through. It does not discern. It's reactive. It doesn't get counsel from the upper portion of our mind. Remember the right part of the brain? Remember the east part? I went through all this stuff about the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. But when you understand the brain, the mind, the neural system of the mind, according to Scripture, the way Scripture lays it out in terms of where we experience God, well, of course we experience God with our totality of our being, 
But in terms of a hearing and learning, in terms of how, where neuroscience kind of position or have pinpointed this place, it actually happens in the upper portion of our brain, in the right hemisphere of it. And this is why the Bible talks about the East, and we you know, went through all that stuff. And what the scripture says that Jesus sat on the right hand of the throne, same thing. The throne is talking about the mind. Why right hand? Well, again, right hand is actually a reference to the east side remember that the east side the portal of worship seek first remember that all that we went through in the prior episodes so i wanted to bring that out from that perspective and, and the reason for that is because of the importance of the good ground when jesus would position himself to hear and learn from god he was experiencing good ground within his mind because it says here, but he who received the seed, remember what the seed is, the spoken word of God concerning the logos of his life. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. Remember what th fruits are? Thoughts, thoughts from God. And those thoughts are supposed to produce the hundredfold, the sixty, and the some thirty. Remember, I've shared with you before the formula. Knowledge, when it talks about knowledge, that's the thirtyfold. That's when God is giving you information. When you're experiencing the 60-fold is when God is explaining that knowledge further. And this is where you get understanding. One of the definitions that I love that, that the Hebraic people use is, is that, that the, the word of understanding is it's the plan of knowing how to build. They call it the Ben in, in ancient Hebraic. And then as a result, what you do also experience is wisdom from God. This is further understanding from God as to how he would prefer for you to build this out or how to manifest whatever it is in your life that he wants you to experience. So in other words, when you're experiencing the good ground, you're experiencing it in a posture of silence where there's no mental distraction and all you're experiencing is God teaching you. You're hearing knowledge, you're hearing understanding, and you're hearing wisdom within your mind pertaining some aspect of your life. And again, how did Jesus experience it? Remember, God awakens his, he awakens his ear to hear as to learn. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. So, we all have that same potential. We all have that same ear or ears, depending if you want to put it plural. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the reason why it's not being taught today in terms of what I'm sharing with you is because of the same reason that it wasn't being taught in the synagogues of Jesus' day is because those teachers removed the key of knowledge form of instruction. They failed to enter in the mind of God within their minds themselves, and those that were trying to do the same or experience the, 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 the mind of God, the teaching spirit within their minds, they were hindering people from experiencing it. And this is the same thing that happens in much of traditional Christianity today. And, and Jesus specifically said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Remember, these were what they were calling the fathers, the rabbis. And he called them, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter in, nor will you let those enter in who are trying to. And where is this door? And what are these major keys? Well, part of the door is, again, as I shared with you before, People teaching you scripture from these dark saying perspectives, from these allegories, these mysteries, these types and shadows, and all of these things. So if you learn from that perspective, and then they also teach you how to position your mind to be a student of God. Remember what that is? 
when they're teaching you how to meditate, when they're teaching you how to position your body as God's educational temple, when they're teaching you how to meditate or how to hallow your ground or how to have good ground within your mind, they're teaching you how to have distractive thoughts. That's when you're converting your soul into the classroom of God. And as a result, your spirit now becomes a student or a disciple of the spirit of God. Meditation that is purpose to discern and learn from God is how this is experienced. And remember, the other major key is how they use scripture to teach you. Always look through that. I call it the filter. Whenever I hear somebody speak on spirituality, the Bible, I'm always looking for content related to how do you go within your mind to experience the mind of God within you as a teaching spirit. If that component of knowledge is not included in that body of teaching that they're preaching or teaching over the pulpit, then something is missing. The key of knowledge is not present. And remember what the key of knowledge does. It unlocks the knowledge of God for every aspect of your life within your mind. This is why, again, I remind you, them that teach about God should first be taught by God. And how do you know that someone has been taught by God? By what they teach. And if not, they may keep you in the dark or ignorant because they don't teach you from these dark saying perspectives. Remember, this is part of the key of knowledge form of instruction. And for sure, if they're not teaching you how to experience mental practices to silence your mind in order to experience the mind of God within your mind, then again, another portion of that key is missing. The sad reality is that much of today's Christian teachings originate from that serpent or Eve brain at best that I shared with you in the prior episodes. And they do so from the tradition or the religion of my fathers, as Paul stated in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 5, and Colossians 2, verse 8, versus them teaching you how to experience the spiritual mind. Remember, that's the Adam portion of your brain. That if they, if they were to teach from that portion of their minds, they will always teach the people what the original apostles learned from the resurrected Jesus and were instructed to teach others to experience the same. Remember, again, it's worth repeating. These people for those 40 days, and again, I give you all the knowledge in the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed and some in the mystery of prayer revealed. You'll see the significance of 40 there. I'll give you the details of why it had to be 40 days. Um, and I'll give you one little nugget. It takes 40 days to birth a child from conception to out of a mother's womb in a normal pregnancy. Well, there's 40 days applies to that experience as well. So you have to read the book to understand why that 40 is so important in this process. But it's really a description of the experiencing the totality of a life or of a teaching experience. We don't get that 40-day teaching in much of our traditional Christianity today, unfortunately. And concerning what I said, concerning the people uh, that preach and teach from their serpent brain, in John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44, he says, why do you not know my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. Notice, logos, remember who was speaking, as I hear my father speak, I speak. Remember that? And he goes on to tell him, you are of your father, the devil, the lusts of your father, you will do, and there is no truth in them. Again, he wasn't talking about that they were uh, inhabited or possessed by a devil. He's talking about them teaching or them preaching from their serpent mind. Remember, the serpent mind doesn't discern. It doesn't learn from God. 
And then Jesus also says when he speaks a lie, talking about these same teachers, he speaks of his own. Notice, he's not speaking for God, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is why, again, Jesus called the, the majority of these religious leaders that he was experiencing while he was on this earth a brood or a company of vipers, which is our snakes. And it doesn't mean that they were actually snakes, of course. And it doesn't mean, again, that they were possessed by the devil. What he was describing is where they were at mentally, where they were getting their knowledge from. And they were getting it from where Paul describes it, from the traditions of the fathers and their religions. Remember that. And again, those traditions and those religions didn't teach the people how to go within. This is why 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 gives us another warning. Now, the Spirit speaks expressively, talking about the Spirit of God. Remember, God is always speaking and teaching. The problem is that are we discerning and learning? Have we taught and trained our mind how to discern? Then in latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know, and once again, what is it describing as far as seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Same thing that Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, that Jesus was talking about. Those that preach and teach from that rabbi position, from that title position. Those are the seducing spirits and the knowledge or the doctrines of devils he's referring to. This is why the scripture gives us warning over and over again. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It gives us that warning. Remember, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus, or excuse me, Paul was talking about the doctrine, their doctrine. Well, Jesus is talking about the same thing in John chapter 8, verses 43 and verse 44. So let's look at how Jesus dressed and kept and hallowed his mind or his garden within in order to experience the name as a teaching spirit within his, his inner garden. And again, as I mentioned before in the opening part of this episode, how do you dress and keep a literal garden? Well, the best way to do it is by visiting, visiting it daily to become aware of and remove all hindrances of growth. So if you're a gardener, you're going to visit your garden every day to see if there's anything, weeds or creatures or any kind of parasites or anything that would keep it from having a full, robust crop of growth. Well, it's the same thing with the mind. And what are the things that we should be doing literally within our minds to, is, is to make sure that any hindrances of different types of thought processes that we may experience, those are those first three parts of the mind that we see in the parable of the four soils. Remember the wayside, remember that, thorns, and the stony ground. Well, those are, once again, it's a reference to different types of thought processes that hinder the experience of experiencing the ultimate ground that we want to experience, which is the good ground within our minds. So how did he do it? Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. And remember, every morning he was doing this. He awakens morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as to learn. Again, Jesus is getting a page or in other words, what episodes or what experiences he was going to experience for that day of his life. This is why Jesus was so proactive. He was pre-informed. And this is the inherent potential that we can experience if we teach and train our minds to experience it. 
In other words, if we can have our ear within awakened in order to hear as to learn. And what do we want to hear? The totality of the will of God for every aspect of our lives. And so we looked at this a little bit further. When Jesus was experiencing this, now, you know, we, we hear that he was on this earth and he had three and a half years of ministry while, his, while he was on this earth, I should say. So at three and a half years, if you multiply that by 365 days in a year, that's 1,277 days of Jesus showing them how it should be done. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 50, verse uh, 4 and 5, you'll see that he even considered it as a rebellious act if he did not do so. Very important there. And where did Jesus get this habit or mindset from? The answer, again, is found in the fact that Jesus would have been exposed to, as a human being, in his upbringing, from this key of knowledge form of instruction. In other words, he would have had Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 training. Remember what Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is older, he won't depart from it. Check out my video concerning that. In other words, he would have been taught how to go within his mind in order to experience the way of his life. And again, I have a video specifically related to that verse. And in the books, The Mystery of Kingdom of God Revealed and The Mystery of Prayer Revealed, when I have that chapter concerning Jesus' educational process, again, you'll see that laid out very clear. This is how he would have been taught and trained in order to experience the mind of God. All of these allegorical experiences and parables and stories that we had, including the Garden of Eden, the parables that he taught, they all are speaking about, again, experiencing the same experience. Now let's switch gears a little bit because I want to show you the constructive side of Satan, the devil, the serpent, or even evil. Now again, let me clarify, I'm not talking about a sentient being, a devil. Most religions, including Christianity and Islam, which are two of the largest religions in the world, teach that the devil is a sentient being. In other words, he has feelings and senses. And that that being is outside of us that tempts or trips us up and is responsible for causing the evil and chaos in the world that we live in. According to the Jewish understanding of what Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 teaches, Judaism teaches no such thing. Judaism teaches that all humans possess the potential to do good or evil. Remember what good is, good and evil are. Let me remind you, good is that which is functional. That, in other words, that's the will of God for your life. Evil is what causes you to dysfunction. In other words, what is not the will of God for your life that will cause chaos and or confusion. They refer to this as what's called the Yetzir Hatol, which is the good inclination that we have, and then the Yetzir Hara, which is the evil inclination. And they get this primarily from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. That reading says, And the Lord saw that the wickedness, that's the evil, that's the Ra, of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil, continuing, only on dysfunction continually remember that serpent brain that's reactive to the impulses that it receives that i shared with you in the episode well, in other words these people were not experiencing the voice of god for their lives they were just reacting on whatever happened even though they had the inherent potential and presence within the mind of god within them so again the serpent brain is reactive to the impulses that it receives 
is not proactive by seeking counsel from God concerning its evil inclinations. In other words, the temptations, the impulses, the lust, and all these functional things that we experience when we submit to this serpent portion of our brain. Judaism teaches that Satan or the devil is a metaphor that describes the evil inclination. In other words, there's this function that exists in every person and that tempts us to do wrong. This evil inclination is not a force or a being, but rather refers to mankind's innate capacity for doing evil in the world. According to their belief, because we innately possess both evil and good inside, and they do coexist, evil will always manifest itself until we do something about it. And what is that something? As I've been saying all along, until we learn to hear and learn from the voice of God, until we discern and learn, this is when something is being done in order for us to understand that part of our mind that doesn't serve us. Well, that's the serpent brain. Now, let me try to explain this a little bit further. Now, I have the definitions here for the words Satan, devil, and serpent. We're talking about the same being, the same structure. The word Satan here described is, is described as what causes opposition or what accuses. It's also referred to, referred to as the arch enemy of good. Uh, many definitions will call that the adversary. But one of the descriptions of it is to experience adversarial thoughts. Same thing with the word devil, to experience adversarial thoughts. When we look at the word serpent, remember that was the serpent that was planted in the base of the garden of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That word serpent is the Hebraic word nakash, and it actually is a reference to some type of divine form of learning. And it's described as to learn something through discernment, to learn by experience. And it's also described as to diligently observe thought. Remember, I shared with you before about studying the origin of thoughts. Now, the reason why I, I bring these definitions up is because of two very important portions of Scripture that I'm going to challenge your thinking on. First of all, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, this is talking about Laban. And it says, Laban said unto them, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, when you see that phrase, for I have learned by experience, it's actually the Hebrew word serpent. In other words, he learned something by way of experience. It doesn't mean that a devil taught him something. It was that he learned something through experience. So again, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, that word nakash is a reference to serpent. And it means to learn something by experience. We see the same thing happening here in a story concerning David. When we find out who incited David to count the fighting men of Israel. Well, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says Satan did. But in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, look at this for yourself, it says that God did. So in other words, which one was it, serpent or God? We're talking about a learning experience, remember that. Yet James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17 says, 
that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt someone. But each one is tempted by his lust, his own lust. Remember what those are, dysfunctions. Being drawn away and seduced by them. Then when lust, which is evil, dysfunction, has been conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully formed, brings forth death, confusion, and chaos. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, meaning that God is unchangeable and entirely trustworthy. So just to kind of summarize that, when you look at these two verses, one verse says that the serpent or Satan, right, is the one who, would, who uh, encouraged David to count the men. And yet you read the other account, it says God did. So who was it? Well, I'm going to lay something heavy on you. When the scripture is referring to, to doctrines of devils and, and brutal vipers and all this other stuff, Jesus is referring to, again, as I mentioned to you before, he's talking about where they got their doctrine from. And that, that again, is not from a devil, a literal devil. He's talking about ignorance. In other words, getting it from serpent brain, not getting counsel from the, the atom or the neocortex or the spiritual mind, in other words. And one of the good and every perfect gifts that verse 17 is experiencing that comes from the father of lights, remember what lights are, illuminated knowledge, is when God is teaching you again about evil, about lust, about temptation. This is when God is instructing you how your mind thinks and how not to think so that you're not drawn away, as this, this verse says, so that when these thoughts are conceived, that you don't give in to them. And of course, there's a lot more deeper knowledge than what I'm sharing with you regarding this. But the point that I want to get across is this, when I'm, I'm bringing these verses out, that this is something that happens within the mind, that we can't blame a devil outside of ourselves. We can only blame ourselves because we don't know how to think. We don't know how to discern. We don't know how to learn. And when you train your mind to experience discerning and learning from God, God himself will reveal these things to you personally. Now let's look at this from Jesus' experience with the serpent. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tested, or tested by the devil, remember, to learn by experience. Let me read that again. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. Remember, to learn by experience. D Jesus also had that serpent brain within him, but he was being trained. I share with you in the kingdom of God revealed, it's one of the most important bodies of teaching that God teaches you, is regarding serpent brain mentality. In other words, again, temptations and lust, and we'll see this a little bit further in the Our Father prayer. And where did Jesus experience and teach this? Well, in the Our Father prayer again. Remember in that portion of, of the prayer where he says, and give us this day, what? Our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remember what evil is again, dysfunction, chaos, confusion. This daily education concerning temptation and evil is experienced through conversational thoughts with God 
within your mind. Going back to what I was telling you before, how did Jesus experience this in the whole template? Give us this day our daily bread. The daily bread, there is a reference to daily teaching. Morning by morning, he would do what? His ear would be awakened to what? To hear as to learn. This is why Jesus was sinless. In other words, why he was always pre-informed. Remember what sin is? Sin simply means to miss the mark. What's the mark? The will of God for your life. This is why Jesus was so on point with the will of God for his life because he was pre-informed. He was pre-educated. So he did not react. He was always in a proactive state of mind because he was pre-informed. And this is something that we too can experience for every aspect of our lives. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But with that temptation will also make a way of escape so that you can, you can, you'll be able to what? To bear it. And how does he do that? Again, by teaching you within your mind. That's how he provides the way of escape. In prior episodes, I've given you plenty of examples how God has done this for my life. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 speaks of this very similar experience. Blessed are the man who endures temptation, right? And the person who, who uh, and how does he endure it? By once again, God teaching you. And if you give in to that temptation, you can't say, as the verse says here, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anybody. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? his own desires, lusts, or entice. Again, this is serpent brain activity. So this is the constructive side of the serpent, the devil. In other words, when God is teaching you about evil, dysfunction within any area of your life, that's the constructive side of understanding what this whole serpent, devil, and Satan is really all about. And to summarize this, 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 and 27 says this, These things I have written you concerning those leading you astray. Talking about teachers, don't teach you how to go within. But the anointing which you receive from him, talking about the Spirit of God within you, the teacher, abides in you. Remember, that's the name. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you concerning all things, that's including evil inclinations, and is true and no lie, and as he has taught you, abide in him. In other words, abide in that teacher. And again, we all have that anointing. We all have that Christ. We all have the triune presence of God within our minds. The question is, have we taught and trained our minds to experience it? And if not, I hope that we can agree that there's a whole lot more to learn. So to summarize this Garden of Eden story from its allegorical and more constructive purpose, in episode one, I share with you the knowledge concerning what the story is truly all about. It's really a story that just teaches us that God has planted himself within the human body and mind. So the purpose of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in that story and the tree of life within that story is to reveal that we have the inherent ability to discern good and evil just like God does and to learn from him personally within our mind. Serpent influence is experienced primarily in two ways. One is experienced from outside sources of learning. This is when someone is teaching you again about spirituality and they're not teaching you how to go within because they're teaching or preaching from their serpent brain, place of ignorance. 
and the other form is experienced through the reactive functions of the serpent brain. In other words, when we give in to that, the actual part of our brain that has its origin and what I shared with you before, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that the scripture says is not of the Father, but is of this world. This threefold negative reaction, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life actually are a result of the serpent brain activity that I mentioned to you in the prior episode. In episode two, we actually went into the importance again of teaching scripture from this, their allegorical perspectives. And as a result, you'll see that they're all pretty much talking about the same thing. They're all stories that are written to reveal one experience only. And that, that experience is to reveal that we all have the inherent potential to experience and the inherent right, by the way, to experience the mind of God within our minds as a teaching spirit. Allegories are deep symbolic stories that contain content concerning experiencing deeper realms of God consciousness within the human mind. Remember, this is why the scripture says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, that Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. And this is why we have to understand what the parables are. Remember what the parables were that he was teaching about. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he would go into a parable. But they were all talking about the same topic, just different expressions. And he was talking about experiencing the kingdom of God as a learning environment within his mind. And then in episode three, we, we, we revisited that. And then we also added in, I gave you some knowledge concerning the triune brain and how the comparison of the three major parts of that triune brain are likened to Adam, Eve, and the serpent and the four inherent thinking processes within it. Remember, we all have it. We all have the inherent potential to experience what the Bible calls so as the voice or the thoughts of God, the voice or the thoughts of, of reasoning. This is when you're having conversation with God, the voice and thought process of our own selves, of course, and then the voice and the thought process of evil and how they relate to the spiritual mind, the natural mind, and the carnal mind. You can see that in episode three. And in this episode, of course, we just went over some knowledge pertaining to the purpose or the reasons why we must continually keep our inner garden of our minds dressed and kept. In other words, in a hallowed or good ground state. And the reason for that is to experience the name. Remember the anointing, the teacher within that'll teach us everything pertaining to every aspect of our lives. And how do we do that? By experiencing the Spirit of God within us as a Father guiding and a teaching spirit. And again, for every area of our life. So first Adam, which is you and I, must learn the second Adam, or what's referred to as Jesus, dressing and keeping garden protocols. Remember, we have to know how to hallow in other words, to set our minds apart in order to experience the name so that we can experience the good ground that is inherently present within us. And what is that good ground? It's synonymous with the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, and it's synonymous with the garden of Eden that is inherently present within our mind as well. So in looking at all of these last four episodes, the most important instruction that God has given to you and I is to seek first the kingdom of God within our minds in order to experience his righteousness for every area of our lives. Remember what his righteousness is are all the right words. In other words, his words, his instructions, his will for our lives. And the most important responsibility concerning our minds given to you and I by God for this experience to take place 
is to teach our minds to constantly be in a hallowed or good ground state of being. The most important activity given to you and I for this to take place is to learn how to dress and keep the inner gardens of our minds. Now, meditation is the most important mental activity related to prayer, discernment, and this dressing and keeping of the mind to remove all hindrances in order to experience this hallowed or good ground state of being, in order to experience the name again as a teaching spirit for every area of our lives. And what meditation is, it's a practice of self-observation and self-development. If you want to change or develop something, in this case, your experience and relationship with God, you have to spend time observing your thoughts in order to become more conscious or to discern the thoughts of God concerning what is good, in other words, in other words what is functional or his will, and what is evil, in other words, what is dysfunctional or not his will for your life. Meditation, simply defined, is to cultivate the mind or to become more familiar with a thought process. And remember, discernment is the study of thought to determine their origin. Meditation is what births discernment, awareness, and consciousness of God thoughts and what continually nurtures conversation and education from God within our minds, especially concerning all forms of evil or dysfunction that may be affecting our life. Understanding the allegorical perspective of the Garden of Eden reveals its original and more constructive purpose. We have the potential to act before thinking and do things that we later will regret. We call this phenomenon, again, guilt or sin, but it's a healthy thought process that should lead to a medicinal experience to remedy whatever is out of order in your life if you learn to hear and discern the voice of God within your own mind. So we, we are not guilty of the sin of Adam and Eve as traditional religion teaches. This is the destructive side of this allegorical story. It's important to remember that we are to confess our sin according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, but we also have the potential to experience remedy for them according to the instructions that we hear from God within our minds. This is the constructive side of the Garden of Eden story. In other words, when we're confessing our sins, we shouldn't just be confessing them, we should be getting conversations regarding them. And this is where that portion of the Our Father prayer comes into play. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. And how does that deliverance come? Again, from experiencing the divine education that we can all experience within our minds, just like Jesus experienced it as a human being. So I hope that this series was a blessing to you and that it simply gave you another perspective concerning the Garden of Eden story. Now in the next episode, I'm going to go through a series called The Portals of Life Suffering. In other words, the entry points or the ways that we experience suffering in life. There are primarily three primary portals where they're experienced. Some of the suffering that we experience in life is inflicted on us by others. That's an evil inclination. Some we inflict upon ourselves knowingly and ignorantly, again, coming from a place called evil inclination. 
Some of the suffering that we go through our lives is specifically assigned to us by God. That's the good inclination. And then I'm going to talk about something very important, and that's his fact and reality. And that is this. Many of us have been suffering since our beginning within our mother's womb, and we don't even know it. And some of that is good and evil. You're going to be blessed by those episodes. Trust me, so stay tuned to that. So for those of you that are looking for more content related to what I share with you in this episode and the prior episodes related to how to experience the mind of God within you as a teaching spirit, well, of course, you can find it in my three-book series called The Mystery Revealed Series. And as always, I'm always open to questions, comments. If you, you can always reach me at my contact information. So I love the feedback that I'm getting from those of you. And if you haven't done so already, consider checking out my website and subscribing to my YouTube and or podcast channels and make sure you hit the notification button so every time I upload a new episode, you have first access to it. So all of that to say this, always remember that the greatest learning environment that you and I have access to on this earth is already inherently present within our minds. And as we've learned, it's also called the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God, the Garden of the Lord. It's that place within our minds that we must hallow or consecrate in order to experience the teacher within the name. And that's experiencing the Spirit of God within you as a teaching spirit for every area of your life. So until the next episode, stay blessed, stay encouraged, and stay focused on teaching and training your mind to experience the mind of God within it which is the original purpose that God created the human mind, is, again, to experience his mind within it as a teaching spirit. Stay blessed.